Welcome. Welcome to the Fast God Stuff Podcast, where we make biblical theology simple, practical, and fun so that we can love God and others more. I'm Conrad, and my favorite type of cheese is Cheese Whiz. And I'm Jesse, and my favorite type of cheese is Nacho. Muy bien. We're just two guys trying to follow Jesus, hanging out in the studio with their bottles and guitars. We take just 30 minutes to chat about a theological topic and renew our minds with the good things of Christ. It's Fast God Stuff. What is that thing that we are talking about today, Conrad? Well, today we're going over answers to life's biggest questions. Two, three, four, answers to life's biggest questions. What does it matter? Answers to life's biggest questions. What's the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? <laughs> <laughs> Got real creepy really fast. <laughs> So what's the deal? Why are we talking about this today? So life, we're all just trying to get through it. And in order to get through it, we have this lens by which we view life. So some people see the world through politics, others through their relationships or maybe their career. And just turn on the TV and you're pummeled with different answers to what is important in life. True. And not understanding the biggest questions in life along with their objective answers causes not only problems in our world, but of course in our own individual lives. And then on top of that, then we have a hard time giving real answers to ourselves, family, and kids with their daily struggles in life. Right. So today we're answering the top four biggest questions everyone must answer in order to deal with life in a way that's true, real, objective, and not self-delusory. So here's what we'll be talking about today. Meaning. Value. Purpose. It's like a barbershop quartet. All right, Conrad, so kick us off. So like I said in the intro, we continually hear conflicting ways people are offering you to give your life more meaning. Like buy this, wear that, act like this, learn that thing, support this cause, defeat that one. And somehow you'll find more meaning in life if you do these certain things. Right. But we haven't stopped to ask the biggest question, is there meaning to any of this? And more specifically, what is the meaning of life? And what is the meaning of my life? Is there an objective reason out there? Because if there is no objective reason for our existence, then we can't even ask the question, what is the meaning of life? Because there is no answer to begin with. Right. So if the universe was created by a divine mind like God, then God had some reason to create it because mind and reason are a couple together. And therefore, we can ask questions about what that reason is. So the primary questions about meaning, significance, do we matter? It all starts with, is there a reason why I'm here? Which means we're assuming there's a mind behind the reason. Right. But if atheism is true, then the universe was created without a reason, which in turn means we have no reason for existence. So therefore, there is no meaning of life, which is what the atheist will tell you. The famous atheist Richard Dawkins says, you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. So he admits atheism denies that there is a reason for our existence, meaning the life. He denies there's purpose. And then the consequences of that means that there is no objective morality either when he says there's no evil or good. 
So atheism flat out says there is no reason for our existence. There is no meaning, period. So don't even bother asking questions about your existence because the universe can't give you answers because it's not a conscious mind. Right. But with Christianity, what do we start off with? We first start off with a conscious divine mind that actually has a reason for creating the universe. So naturally, the next question is, well, what is that reason? And we'll get to those parts later in the podcast. But the thing that I want us to understand here is because there is a mind, then there is an objective reason. So Christianity matters because it gives us a reason for reasons. Right. So I'll say that again. Christianity matters because it gives us a reason for reasons. There's a reason why reasons exist. There's a reason why we can ask questions and actually find answers to them. It's because there's a conscious mind behind the universe. So now the question is, well, how does this even matter for me? So this matters because there's a lot of people who say, I don't need God to give myself meaning. I can give my own self meaning. But the thing is, you can't actually give yourself meaning. All you did really was just form some opinion of yourself. Because you can easily just say, I have more meaning than everyone else around me. Or you could do the opposite. I have less meaning than everyone around me. Right. And every single person you run into will say the exact same thing. I have more meaning than you. Which is exactly what happens when most crimes are committed. Like, people will say, I'll kill you and take your stuff because your stuff has more meaning to me than your life. So whatever meaning you thought you gave yourself was really just in your head and had no bearing on reality or everyone else's opinion of you. So in other words, without a common standard by which we can measure this is meaning, we're likely to have all kinds of problems and troubles because everybody will argue and always put themselves first and put others last. Right. And Christians can play this relativism game too. And we do this every day, basically every single time we sin, because when we do, we're finding more meaning in that sin or idol than in our faith in God and his reasons. So we can identify when we find meaning elsewhere, when we simply get bummed out when life isn't going the way we want. Finances, romance, family, career, reputation, social status. So in those cases, your reason for your existence is now in conflict with God's reason for your existence. Right. So the biggest question, is there meaning to life? Is there a reason to your existence? Well, Christians can answer this with a resounding yes, because our creator had a reason to make us. So you don't have to buy into what everyone else is selling you. But most importantly, you don't have to buy into what you're selling yourself, which will be some arbitrary made up philosophy that you made up for yourself in between watching TV and going to work. And this objective meaning that God gives us has been clearly written down when he gave us his word. And we'll break this meaning down into three different parts during the rest of the podcast. What exactly is my value? What is my individual purpose? And where is their hope? Right. So here's the 15-second Fast God Stuff summary. The answer to the question, what is the meaning of life, can only be found if God indeed had a reason to create us. He has revealed his reasons in the Bible, but in our sin, we are constantly trying to find meaning elsewhere. So, we must be in his word daily because it reminds us of our objective meaning, which gives us value, purpose, and hope. So, Jesse, the next part of finding meaning is asking the next biggest life question, which is, what is my true value? And we see how difficult it is to answer this question because all we seem to do in life is deal with everyone's low self-esteem. Right. From ourselves to our spouse to our kids and friends. 
So, Jesse, what are the ways we typically try to find personal value? We can go about this in one of two ways. We can look outside of ourselves to find value using external standards. Mm -hmm. And we do that by measuring our personal value based on our academic accomplishments or professional achievements, the balance in our checking account, the number of likes we get on Facebook, the number of perfect pictures we post on Instagram. Recognition from other people. Exactly. Or even in our relationships with our spouse, with others, or even by how many kids we have or whether people just like us. Mm -hmm. And so living up to those standards will provide an individual with value and significance But lack of self-worth then comes from not meeting those external standards. Right. It comes back to bite you. Right. The other way we can try to find value is we can look inside ourselves using some kind of subjective standard and really determine what makes me happy. Mm -hmm. So there's problems with these two views, though. Oh, totally. Yeah. So the first is that we can never really fully live up to any external standard. So our value is always dependent on grasping for the next big thing or earning the approval or attention of others. Right, and everyone's expectations and attention change. Like, they could just get bored with you or just find something new and shiny that grabs their attention. So you'll always end up competing for the attention of others. Right, so it's really impossible to use external standards to actually provide your own self-worth. Right. If we look inward, that basically just ends up crushing us because we're responsible for creating and validating our own value We're full of all these conflicting and changeable feelings, emotions, and thoughts. So our internal definition of value is never, ever stable. Right. Everyone's self-esteem is just based upon their opinion or mood. Like one day you have low self-esteem and you feel worthless, but then the next day you feel important, which just goes to show that it's all in your head and has no bearing on reality. I'm worthless. I'm awesome. I'm worthless. I'm awesome. I'm worthless. I'm awesome. I'm worthless. I'm awesome. I'm worthless. I'm the best around. I'm worthless. I'm awesome. I'm worthless. I'm awesome. I'm worthless. I'm the most important. I'm worthless. I'm awesome. so glum. So yeah, letting your feelings (laughs) define your self-worth is a horrible idea. Right. So our value can't come from our shifting opinion of ourselves or somebody else's opinion of us. But now the question is, well, what is the source of our value? Right. Christianity starts in this really beautiful place with this fundamental premise that every man, woman, and child is automatically valuable because they are created not by some accident or the result of some blind, uncaring, naturalistic process, but they are carefully handcrafted by the most powerful being in the universe and given a personal resemblance to their creator. We can't even get out of the first book of the Bible. In Genesis 1, we find God saying, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image after our likeness. So every person has this essential value that's not given by fiat because human worth is based on our proximity to resembling God. And that's something that's unique to the Christian worldview. Right. Because under atheism, we're just a cosmic accident and aren't made special. We're just a mass of molecules, just like everything else, and not made on a higher level than the rest of the universe. And as if that wasn't good enough. In the beginning, when Adam and Eve fell, Adam being our representative and we following in his sin ever since that day forward, we have transgressed against God. We've been his enemies. Mm -hmm. And yet while we were still his enemies, God so valued us still that he sent his son Jesus to die for us so that we might be reconciled to him. 
that cost tells us what our value is. Exactly. And that value was established long before you and I were making this podcast. So mm-hmm. are you ready for a little Latin? Sure. No, but it has to be in Gregorian chant. <laughs> <laughs> Pactum salutis. <laughs> so Pactum salutis are two Latin words that mean the covenant of redemption or salvation. And what Pactum salutis is, is it's the no, agreement. No, 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 no. You, you, have to, you have to say it. <laughs> you can't just say it in like normal English. Oh, every time? Yeah. Okay. So what the Pactum salutis <laughs> Even before all of creation, God decided we were so valuable that he was going to make a pact with himself in the Trinity that Jesus would come on his own volition to die and give his life for us. And all of creation is going to be unfolding this wonderful plan of God's value for us. Right. So we have this clear conception that not only were we created in the image of God, but God so loved us that he gave his son. Love always leads to giving mm-hmm. because love is an expression of value. Right. So the source of our value is God's unchanging love for us. Right. So Christian identity and value, in contrast to the outward and the inward models of looking for self-worth, has an external standard of validation. It's God. But the means of living up to that standard have already been achieved in Jesus. There's nothing right. more for us to do other than to receive Jesus' righteousness as a gift. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. It's final and complete. So God looks at us and sees the beauty and perfection of Jesus' righteousness. Right. And two of the main spots where I see Christians finding value from external standards that aren't obvious are, one, they get their value from their kids, which sucks because eventually they leave. But the biggest problem that I see, it's and it starts really early that can get them in trouble, is their pursuit of romantic relationships. For sure. Because a lot of Christians' dream isn't to be like Christ, but their dream is to find marital bliss. Like the perfect spouse will fill their emotional needs. So you'll see Christians getting into relationships with non-Christians or just doing really dumb stuff in the relationship. But for married Christians, you'll see one getting jealous of their spouse's attention when you're not the center of their universe at all times. But maybe the biggest problem that I see is when a married person has a weak relationship with God, like they don't really do their devotions, they don't really do any Bible study, because they've already found a replacement for finding personal value. Right. So the big takeaway here is that whenever we sense that maybe our emotions are pulling us into a place where they're defining our value, or we're looking outside ourselves and comparing ourselves to somebody else or something else, we need to stop and preach the gospel to ourselves. So here's the 15-second Fast God Stuff Summary. We all long for personal value, and this leads us to search for self-worth in external standards and subjective moralism. But looking outward or inward for value leaves us exhausted, disappointed, empty, and lonely. Christianity matters because it is the only source for finding value by affirming that we are handcrafted in the image of God and so treasured that Jesus willingly chose to give his life to buy us back from sin and... Why, when you say it, does it sound like it's a spell from Harry Potter? (laughs) Wingardium Leviosa. Experiamos! (laughs) Aloha, Mora. (laughs) Expecto Patronum. Obliviate. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> you have an extensive knowledge of Harry Potter spells. Abracadabra. <laughs> Pactum Salutis. 
All right, so what's part three or act three of this little podcast? So one of the biggest questions in life we face is, what is my purpose? And I really don't see a whole lot of parents able to answer this question for their kids because I don't see them answering it for themselves. So people find their purpose a lot of times in their jobs or their kids or by trying to leave some type of legacy. But the biggest way I see this manifest itself is with finding a career because most people subconsciously equate their career with their calling and purpose. So in order to prevent this from happening, let's try to figure out an objective source for our purpose along with what is my purpose. So here's the thing. When we ask what is my purpose, what we are really asking is for what purpose was I created? Right. For what purpose was I created? So if atheism is true, then we have no purpose, right? Right. So you can say you can come up with your own purpose, but that's not really purpose. That really is just a way to fill your time until you die. (laughs) Seriously, that's all it is. This is the best atheism has to offer. Wait till you die. Yeah. But of course, as Christians, we can actually ask that question, for what purpose was I created? Because God had some reason for creating us. And whatever that reason is, will therefore be our purpose. So we can point to an objective source, our creator, and his reason for creating us. But here's the thing. God didn't randomly create us to do something arbitrary. No, because the source of our purpose is actually God's character itself. God says this about himself in 1 John 4. He says, God is love. So if God's character is love, then God's reason for doing anything is out of love. And anything that he creates will either be an object of love or an agent of love. So our purpose is simply to reflect God's own love. And Christ summed up our purpose really quickly when he was asked, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is a great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we know the summary of our purpose really well, which is to love God and love others. But I think where Christians run into problems is we don't know what loving God and loving others means in a daily life kind of way, in a practical sense. So now let's define loving God and let's also define loving others. So loving God really comes down to three elements, which are praise, thanks, and obedience. So with praise, we show love to God when we praise him for his attributes. And it could be through prayer or song. Things like, God, I praise you because you are love, because you are just, because you are righteous. And we also show love to God when we give him thanks. So this is thanks for what he has done. Thank you for this meal, my job, and sending Christ to die for my sins. And also obedience. We show love to God when we obey him, namely by loving God and others or all the subcommands of love found in the Bible. Right. And there's a subtlety there because what we don't often realize is worship is really connected to purpose. Whatever we ascribe value to says something about us. We, it's often said we are what we worship. Yeah. So when we love God, we are designed to become more like his son, Jesus Christ, because we're valuing him in all of his character. Right. And so that should make us want to exhibit that character in our daily lives. Right. So now when it comes to loving others, we can break this down into two things, providing for others' spiritual needs, and then two, providing for others' physical needs. So showing love to others by providing for their spiritual needs is really getting them to love God, getting them to praise, thank, and obey God more. This, of course, starts in your home and it goes out from there. So like if someone doesn't know God, 
well, then you help them know God. And if maybe they're going through a rough patch in their life, well, then you tell them about God's plan of sanctification. What you're really trying to do is get them to a spot where they can praise, thank, and obey God more, which is how you love God. Right. Now, the second part of loving others is providing for their physical needs. Because you can't just say, I'll pray for you that you don't go hungry. No, you actually have to feed them as well. So to put it really simply, you can't get others to fulfill their God-given purpose of loving God and loving others if they're dead. Right. (laughs) So now the question is, well, I can't possibly feed, clothe, and protect everybody. Well, no, that's why God gave us further instruction in Scripture on how to manage our time and resources. So God first wants us to start with providing for the physical needs of our family. And listen to 1 Timothy 5.8. It says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, right at home, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And then the next circle out is actually believers. Galatians 6.10 says, Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So as you have the time and resources to do it, you start off with your family, then believers, then your neighbor, then everybody else. Right. It starts with your genetic family, and then God says it expands from there on out into your spiritual family. So in other words, if your ministry of love doesn't work at home, it just doesn't work. Yeah. So one quick point here. When it comes to your job or your career, remember, this is not your purpose. Those are a means to your purpose. So whatever your career is, you take those resources and invest it into your purpose. And to sum up what your purpose is, our purpose in life is to love God and love others, which also means helping others love God and love others. Right. So here are two simple practical applications I'd like to highlight. One, increasing your love of God. You can do this by studying God's word so you can praise, thank, and obey him more. So please at least do your daily devotions. And two, increasing your love of others. And you can do this by being really good with your money because it is a vehicle by which you can provide for the spiritual and physical needs of others. So here's the 15 second Fast God Stuff Summary. Our purpose in life is to love God and love others through praise, thanks, and obedience and providing for the spiritual and physical needs of others. So study your Bible and do your job joyfully and as unto the Lord, because these things help us fulfill our purpose, which is to love God and love others. So on to our final question of life's most important questions that only Christianity can answer. It's where can I find hope? Because we interact daily with people who are trying to find hope, and they find it either in a political party or some cause, or through therapy or through others. So Jesse, how does Christianity address this? Christianity matters because it's the only hope for personal change and freedom from guilt. So because we're sinners, we have a natural bent to turn away from the creator and to serve the creation. Yeah. And so we turn away from hope in a person to hope in systems, ideas, people, or possessions. And so what we tend to do is we explore human philosophies and ideas, hoping to extract any tiny little insight that will give us the power to change. Mm -hmm. And when we act on that, some new surprisingly life-changing insight, we find that before long, disappointment returns. Mm -hmm. The change was just temporary and cosmetic because it failed to penetrate the heart of the problem. Yeah. And to address this problem, I mainly see people turn to political philosophies for hope that politics, politicians, and laws can somehow save us from what's wrong in the world. But what's wrong in the world is us. It's humans. Right. We're the problem. 
It's our hearts that cause the problems that we're in. So it's impossible for us to save ourselves because we are the problem itself. For sure. And only Christianity confronts the reality that heart-changing help will never be found in a system or a set of insights and principles. It will only be found in the God-man Christ Jesus. In his power, we find the hope and the help that we need. Only Christianity offers both an accurate diagnosis of the human heart as well as the solution for our primary malady. Mm -hmm. And that is that we are sinful people. That's our problem at the heart. The heart is desperately wicked above all else. And the solution to our malady is the Son of God, Jesus Christ, coming to absolve us and take away that sin that desperately clings to us without him. Yeah. So we've all had the experience where we've hurt somebody that we've loved or we've done something wrong. We've sinned against them. And that's painful. And generally, we feel a sense of guilt. And so we might go to that person and ask that they would forgive us for the wrong that we've done to them. But what happens when that guilt remains, Mm -hmm. when we feel embarrassed? Where can we get freedom from guilt when we've been forgiven by somebody else, but we cannot forgive ourselves? Where do we go for that? Right. And Christianity is unique in the perspective of saying, Jesus provides the diagnosis that, yes, you will feel that way. And second, that he can remedy that problem for us. Mm -hmm. The world can only offer people some kind of system. It reduces hope and freedom to just a set of observations or some kind of collection of insights or steps in a process. Religion, philosophy, and programs offer good advice. Jesus announces good news. Right. One of the passages in scripture with the most concentrated teaching on Christian hope is 1 Corinthians 15. What he's basically saying is to trust in one who is dead is to extinguish all hope. But because Christ lives, we live, and it is his life alone that gives us hope because his life is indestructible. Right. So our hope of a new and eternal life is certain because we are in Christ and Christ has been raised from the dead. Right. Because if atheism is true, there is no hope. Everything you care about, all of your accomplishments, whether you were the best person or the most evil person ever, we will all have the same fate. Our atoms will just be converted into other stuff. Until after trillions of eons, even our atoms will just get spread out forever, and then time will just march on. And we will literally have no significance for an infinite amount of time. We will literally be infinitely insignificant. Right, and this is once again why Christianity matters. Christian hope affirms the destruction of the last enemy, which is death itself. Exactly. And that enemy is still active. I mean, it slays victims all the time. Mm -hmm. We know people who die. And we feel the pain of that death. So for those who are in Christ, because he has been raised, the final and fearful enemy will be slain forever. So when death is finally put to death, see what I did there? Tricky. Then we who are in Christ will live with him in the new heaven and the new earth. And that is the best hope of all. Yeah. So here's one practical way we can put this into some practice. Our inclination is to replace Jesus as the source of our hope And that's pervasive throughout all of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And we see this even when we search the scriptures for answers with a mentality that asks, where can I find a verse on fill in the blank? Mm -hmm. Where can I find a verse on patience? Where can I find a verse on love? Where can I find a verse on wisdom? It's easy to forget that the hope biblical principles offer rests on the person of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And we forget that the Bible is not an encyclopedia but it's a story of God's plan to rescue hopeless and helpless humanity. So the best thing we can do is when we're longing for some kind of specific insight is to think about who Jesus is. Think about on his character Mm -hmm. and his example. It's not wrong to go to the scriptures, but it's not entirely correct to treat it as just kind of a one-off 
source for some kind of therapeutic help. Right. It's it's a part of a larger whole. And the larger whole is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Right. And ultimately his love for us. Exactly. So here is the 15 second Fast God Stuff Summary. Only Jesus describes the condition of the human heart, provides for our malady by removing our sin, and conquers death through the resurrection. Christianity matters because it is the only source of stable hope for a changed life today and an eternal destiny where death is defeated and we are finally able to live life as intended. All right, comrade, we hit a lot. Take us home. So life's biggest questions can be summed up with what is the meaning of life? And we can find objective meaning in the reason we were created. We were created as objects of God's love, which gives us value. We were created as agents of God's love, which gives us purpose. And we were created to be united with God's love forever, which gives us hope. This is all made possible by the person and work of Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith in Christ, you will find true, objective meaning in life. So what is the meaning of life? The meaning of life is to love and be loved in the family of God forever. That's all the time that we have for today. So tell a friend about this episode and subscribe to the Fast God Stuff podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to podcast. Fast God Stuff is a proud member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. And please check out FastGodStuff.com for all kinds of content that will help you not feel wordless. Until next time. Love God. (laughs) Love others. That's That's it. it.